Welcome to episode 277 of Apartment Hacker. This is Mike Brunner, Apartment Hacker. is my mission to tease out human potential in the multifamily space. So today, I am very, very excited to bring you the very first guest on Apartment Hacker. So a couple of weeks ago, we were sitting around in my office, and Luke Mills and I were having a conversation about Apartment Hacker, about podcasts, and he said, have you ever had an, an interview on uh, the Apartment Hacker show? And I said, no, but we could get started, and you could be the first guest. And he graciously accepted. So Luke is an investment manager at Radco Residential. Um, Luke also served uh, three tours in the United States military for the Army. And Luke, why don't you fill in a couple of the gaps that I might have left out there? All right. So uh, as you mentioned, I I did serve in the military. I uh, spent a total of five years um, with the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, I was a combat infantryman. I jumped out. I was an airborne infantryman, so it means I jumped out of planes did a lot of the heavy fighting stuff that happened. I had three, uh, three tours to Iraq. Um, during my time in the military, I, you know, I was able to go to jump school, airborne school, air assault school, uh, jump master qualified. Uh, I've got my expert infantry badge, so I, I've done quite a bit with the military. Um, after the military, um, my goal was to get out and get an education. I went to college, and just kind of through fate and everything, I ended up at Radco, and uh, since I've been at Radco, I've been capital markets analyst, I've been a acquisitions analyst, senior acquisitions analyst, uh, transferred over to in a little bit into doing uh, dispositions and kind of investment analytics, and then kind of jumped into the investment manager role uh, once it was created. So I've kind of seen a little bit of everything on the transactional side uh, in the business. Got it. So that's always fascinating to me, somebody that's spent time in the military, and, and I don't think anybody who hasn't been in the military cannot appreciate what one sees and what one experiences in, in that space. I, I can't even imagine it. So, but I can imagine it's very traumatic mm-hmm. uh, in nature. And to bring yourself back to, call it the corporate world, or just back to normal everyday life, how does, and maybe speak from your own experience, how do you, how did you reimmerse yourself into uh, a domestic mindset versus this very traumatic uh, and, and how that kind of led you into what you just described in being an investment manager. Maybe under the premise that I've, I've always had this heart for how do we bring uh, veterans into the workspace, and, and specifically the multifamily space. How do we do that? I have a heart for it, yeah. but I don't know. Maybe your path can help inspire people to, to do that. Gotcha. So um, how I reimmerse myself. So when I got out of the military, I literally started college within three months and um, you know I I came back from deployment in March got out of the military by May and then by the beginning of August I was in college so uh, I kind of just jumped right into it but I even realized that in you know May June July when I was out of the military that I was looking for something to do and just needed something to do so um, I really just kind of and this will kind of be a theme as we go through here but I've always said yes to opportunity and things like that so you know, at that point in time, I'm, I'm still young, I'm, I'm about to be a college student and everything like that, so uh, I met some friends through orientation at school and kind of, uh, it, it ultimately led to meeting some people in a fraternity, joining a fraternity, that turned into just networking with other people, um, and ultimately it led me to different types of, you know, study abroads and interna- uh, international internships and stuff like that, which helped me meet a lot of people, which kind of, I think that's the big thing is that there's a lot of a lot of soldiers don't want to jump back into into reimmersing themselves by going out and meeting people and just being uh, forward. So 
um, a lot of times it, it, it takes it takes someone to actually do that themselves or a civilian kind of you know like hey do you want to be a part of this and stuff like that so it's, it's as simple as reaching out to somebody and just like say hey we have this job I know you were a mechanic in the military or whatever can you help us out you know, just for a little bit kind of immerse in that way or whatever the, the uh, um, whatever the position might be so um, how I got into uh, multifamily is actually pretty funny I actually joined the military with the ultimate goal of spending four years in so I could pay for college and ultimately go to get my uh, to become a doctor become a you get my MD and everything like that uh -huh. uh, I learned pretty quickly after a couple deployments I didn't want to be a doctor um, and so I went back to college very open-minded just kind of like well I'm just gonna take as many classes as I can you know a, every subject that I can and just figure out what I like so I took uh, I took biology I realized I didn't like science anymore or I didn't have the passion for it that I did in high school I took political science and I realized that having come from the military I didn't really like the politics of things and you know I, I just wanted to have a mission and continue and you know drive towards that mission and not worry about how the uh, politics affects it mm -hmm. um, and then I, I finally took an econ class and it's like oh I like this I like numbers and I like the kind of you know how things affect each other numerically and all those um, all those factors uh, which then led me to becoming uh, a finance and management uh, major um, and through my fraternity, I met a professor who actually also is German, and I speak German. So we had kind of a the bond through speaking German together, and then also um, with uh, you know just be, just through having met him through functions and stuff like that. Um, he actually was able to introduce me to a internship program where I actually got to go to Munich, Germany for a summer and intern with a real estate company because it was the only financial company that was available. So that being said, one of the girls that I interned with who also worked with me. Uh, she came to Radco as an analyst, and when I was looking for a job, I, I was at another job interview. It wasn't a job that I wasn't excited. I wasn't that excited for. As I was leaving, I get a call from her like, "Hey, we have an analyst position open. Do you want to interview?" And I was, "Yes, hell yes, let me do it." Yeah. Um, and it was exciting because it was actually something in my degree field and something I had some experience with commercial real estate. So um, ultimately, the, I think the question for if you're a veteran watching this say yes to opportunity that's that's the main point yeah. if you're someone who wants veterans in your career field reach out to them and give them that opportunity or sharing that that perspective and it's you know again i'd say I, I really have a heart for that and to the extent that i can help out in that world and, and bring veterans into the workplace whatever that conduit might be or providing that opportunity i'm all in yeah because really admire and appreciate what uh, people in the military do for our country uh, on a deeper level so um so I'm interested, uh, I've worked with asset managers in the past, and now I work with investment managers, and I wonder from your perspective, what is the difference between an asset manager? Because I think many of the people in the Apartment Hacker Nation uh, work with asset managers, not investment managers. Yeah. So can you talk about the difference between those two? Yeah, so I think also you know, it'll depend you know, uh, company to company what the difference between an asset manager and investment manager, or what an asset manager is. But uh, I think typically in my career, I've seen that an asset manager is kind of the higher level level person who's really just in charge of the big ticket things, making sure that, you know, if you've got a construction uh, a budget and construction project that they keep the construction manager on task. And then also, <clears throat> if you've got operational goals, you're keeping the regional manager or the property managers on task. So it's kind of pulling the strings a little bit. And, um, and, and kind of one of the reasons that led us to create the investment manager was that we'd seen from third parties and other groups that, you know, asset managers and things like that 
weren't really taking a true analytical investment-minded focus on the decisions they were making. You know, they sure they might have, uh, you know, they might have figured out like, well, what is the ROI versus the ROI of something else? You know, doing one unit of renovation versus another. We do that as well, but um, we also kind of take into the you know grander scheme of things like, you know, besides just the ROI, how does this affect the investment? How does this ultimately from top line revenue all the way down to net income and actually below line as well uh, to our distributions. How you know how does that affect our distributions? Will we be able to distribute to our investors more, less, or how does that all work? So, uh, investment management is just taking a more analytical approach to the decisions that we make. Um, I think also in the past, you know, working with third party groups and everything like that. Sometimes the asset managers can be a little detached from what's going on. Mm-hmm. They'll give you the goals and say, hey, achieve it. And then when you don't achieve it, they give you another goal. And they really... With a hammer. Yeah, with a hammer. Like, <laughs> you must do it this time, right? Um, and so investment managers, uh, you know, working here at Radcon, you know, working with you and the regional managers and, um, you know, people within my portfolio, I try to make it a partnership. You know, like, well, I try to figure out where do we ultimately need to be to distribute the, you know, the amount of money that we need to hit the IRRs and, you know, the cash on cash and everything like that, that we've promised to our investors. How do we hit those marks? And then I'll go and say, all right, this is where we're at. This is where we need to be. And then I'll brainstorm with my regionals, like, how do we get there? You know, what can we do? And uh, then it's my, it's my approach to kind of take every suggestion, take an analytical look at it, and then give a direction and push forward with it. So um, it's... It's, it's supposed to be more analytical and looking at the numbers and basically taking emotion and feelings out of every decision and just looking purely at, will this work for us or will this not work for us? Got it. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. But I can tell you, just having worked with you and, and Laura uh, on the investment side of the house, the, the times that I've really, uh, I've really appreciated the most is when you've gone out in the field with me. I, I think of Oklahoma. Uh, not only the, that time in the car to build relationships when driving between Oklahoma and, and Tulsa, but uh, actually being out on the site with you and, and you having uh, a vested interest in being engaged in the process of what an operator does and, and everything from you know walking in and, and looking at the presentation of the office, the curb appeal, uh, right on through, I call it curb to commode, walking the critical path all the way down to feeling the clock line around the bottom of the toilet. And, and, then, and then you adding your analytical perspective to why all that stuff matters mm-hmm. for the investment. So I've appreciated the partnership. And it's, uh, I, I remember walking into it, I was a little bit nervous, like, I'm not so sure how this model works, but uh, it's, it's been a blessing and I, I really appreciate it. And I think that's one thing that the investment managers here at Radco have kind of t- taking, uh, try to do with you know, the, the, oper- the operational side of things is that you know, we are looking at the big picture stuff, but as you break it down into levels of senior vice president, regional property manager, leasing, they have their big their big picture things might be how many leases do I get, or you know, is this unit clean? Is this is a tenant going to come in and want to lease this unit because it's clean and we've done the unit renovation per, to perfection? Or it's the details that you know it it affects my big term up a thousand foot you know business plan objective. So I, I try to. I try to get in the field and get in the weeds and, you know, you know do everything I can with y'all and just kind of try to understand what everything's going because, uh, you know, it's my job to kind of see those things, those issues that you're seeing on the site level, 
translate that to the investment and how can I solve that to make the investment better? Because you know, a $1,000 miss on the site level could be, you know, if you cap it, it could be pretty enormous for our, our uh, distributions that we give to our investors. So uh, it's my goal to try to um, take the two and make sure that they, they, they match uh, the ultimate goal. So, so under that, let, let's call that optimizing the investment. And, and under the theme of optimizing investment, let's talk about your best investment and maybe your worst investment. And, and I was thinking about this in the, in the car on the way over. Uh, if, if it is better to answer that question uh, in terms of an investment that you've made in your personal life, meaning I did X, Y, Z to yield this thing in my profession, or, or if it's better to talk about the analytics of a, an investment here at Radco, uh, either way, What's been your best investment, personally or professionally, uh, and what's been your worst investment? <laughs> um, so I actually, I've actually struggled this question, uh, it, mostly just because I tried, tried to get an actual example that I could provide, uh, and it's it's been a little bit difficult because I don't make bad decisions, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is can, entirely false. I do it's make awesome. I also make tons of bad decisions, but um, investment-wise, I think. I think I want to change the question a little bit instead of worst investment decision and best investment decision. You know, some of the things that I've learned in the past that it, you know have basically brought me to where I am um, for worst investment decision. And uh, I would say that um, one of the first one of the first projects I started with investment management was you know uh, it was basically just uh, we, it was a new property. It was an amenity center that we needed to deliver in a certain time frame. And ultimately, that got that got pushed back because we didn't meet the deadlines that we had set for ourselves internally. And ultimately, we had to push um, we had to push the amenity center opening back a couple months because we weren't able to get in time. We weren't able to get the permits, and it was in the middle of summer by the time it happened. So, um, what I gained what I gained and what I learned from that was that you can't always assume people have the same goals, have the same um, you know characteristics, and have the same um, motivation is you. You have to make sure that sometimes you have to motivate people differently, and you have to make sure that they stay on top of your project. And you know that they could have ten projects going on, but you have to make sure that they're also you know that a good portion of the times on your project as well. So that's one of the worst investment decisions I've made is that I wasn't on top of something as much as I should have been, and ultimately I ha we had to push this amenity center back a couple months due to just not being on top of it. So, so with that in mind. Uh what what was it, since we're trying to tease out some human potential here and, and how one might uh, avoid making those mistakes, was there a, a thing that you put in place uh, after learning that lesson of, hey, I've got to stay on top of this? Was there a tangible thing that somebody out there in the audience could put in place to avoid that kind of thing? Uh, or that you did? That so they could um, the, the big mistake I made was, you know, obviously was assuming everyone has the same motivation. So. Sure. I, you know, I was an assumption. I was under assumption that they were as motivated as I am to get things done, so that this wouldn't be an issue. So I kind of just let it let it go, and I check in every two weeks and just take them at their word. Um, what I've done since is I have in my calendar a reminder every so many weeks whenever I'm doing a big project to, okay, they told you this would be done by this point in time. So a week before that, get with them and figure out where they are actually and. Are they going to meet the goal? Are they not going to meet the goal? If they're not going to meet the goal, how are we going? How can we adjust things to meet that goal? And if we have to push the goal back a little bit, why and how far back do we actually have to push it? So, 
it's as simple as putting a little calendar reminder on my Outlook just to make sure that I'm on top of things. And uh, you know, it, it's it's also a, you know it was a learning lesson. It was a I tend when I um, when I make a mistake, I tend to get a little bit embarrassed, and I don't like getting embarrassed. Mm -hmm. So that in and of itself was a much that reminds me now. Like I have a project going on. Like well, I don't want to get embarrassed, so let me stay on top of this and. I don't try to be too overly like doing the construction manager's job or the design person's job, but I want to be there and like okay, let's walk through this. Mm -hmm. What's what's going on? Where are the where are the deadlines? All right, we're we're on we're on track. Good to go. I like it. Yeah, things as simple as calendar reminders are, are very powerful tools, and I think many times people want to believe, and I, I'm as guilty as anybody with this, is that oh, I've got it in here, you know, or my, my wife is a perfect example. I want these three things from the grocery store. I come back with two, right? Because I didn't write it down. Exactly. And sometimes even I write it I, I write it down and I still forget to yeah. look at the list. Right? Yeah. So, but anyway, uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm going to switch gears a little bit, uh, still focused on the multifamily space. Uh, your outlook on the multifamily investment space, since you play in that world a lot. Um, I, th I think we're... So I've been to NMHC uh, and I've been to a couple different conferences and stuff like that. And you know, uh, yeah, we read the Wall Street Journal and kind of what everyone's predictions for what's going on in the world and how things are going and how multifamily is at its peak and soon going to be going down. Or you know, a lot of what we do is based on interest rates and how interest rates could be going up. Or as our CEO says that there are articles that say the interest rates might be going up or they could be going down. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a bold prediction, but I, I honestly think that we're in this for the long haul. I think we're still, it's going to get a little bit tighter with more people trying to get into multifamily because, you know, we've seen the demographic shift. Mm -hmm. More people are renting. Millennials aren't buying. In fact, uh, I, I heard from uh, uh, a friend of mine who is a uh, mortgage broker that uh, that 22% of uh, homes that were, that were purchased actually were purchased by millennials. And of that 22%, you know, out of 100 two people maybe had that money saved up the other you know the other 98 percent were gifted that um gifted a down payment on a home so millennials aren't buying homes unless they have a gift down payment and you really have the top two percent that are actually saving that money up and you know that can buy homes so if they're not buying homes what are they doing they're obviously renting true and what is the biggest you know biggest space that you can rent in is multifamily. you know there's single family housing you can rent but Typically, millennials are renting in apartments, and um, you're also seeing that, you know, there are older baby boomers that are retiring and moving into apartments. There are, you know, there are blue-collar workers that can't afford houses, so they're living in apartments. So there's this confluence of events that are that's leading to apartments being a major factor. Um, now, I know we've had, also had interest rates rise here recently, but I think I read an article the other day, and it was, you know, it was on the Wall Street Journal, and it kind of rang true that. We're we're headed for a recession because in the government in our government, you know whether it's the legislative, the the judicial, or the executive branch, it's in utter turmoil right now. And a country can't survive with utter turmoil for too long, and also have you know you know stock prices go soaring through the roof, which happened when Trump became president. So I think we're going to start seeing if things don't shape up soon, there's going to be a recession, and you're going to start seeing interest rates start coming back down. Um, I don't think, you know, their job, 
uh, wage growth hasn't really increased much either. So over a long bit of time. Yeah, it's been it's been a ridiculous amount of time that jo- wage growth has not grown. So even though interest rates are going down, it's probably making it easier for people to buy homes. They don't have the wage wages to purchase it, so it's going to be in multifamily, which low interest rates are going to make it very creative for us to put you know high leverage debt on loans and go out and buy more. Um, even you know purchase uh, start developing things like that. So I think. We're, you know, I think we're not so much at a peak. I think we're at a plateau, and I think we're going to be on the plateau for a while. It, you know, whether from that plateau we go to another peak or we decline, I, I'm not willing to, you know, speculate that far out. But I think we're on a we're a plateau right now. Well, I appreciate you speculating as much as you did. Yeah. And, uh, I, I think that so in that in that context, uh, let, let's call it a, a fairly chaotic environment, um, and, and maybe we're we're playing in a, a space that. Uh, is a little bit new, or maybe it's not new, it's just our new because we didn't live through it in, in years past, but uh, what advice would you give to an up-and-coming investment manager who's, when you entered the space, it was quite different, right? You were yeah. starting this kind of like rocket ship ride to, yeah. to where Radco is today, but somebody coming in today in this plateau environment, what advice would you give to them? Yeah. Um, I think for anyone coming into this environment, it's pretty much the same advice that I would give to anybody looking to start a career in any job field. Um, when I got out of college, um, I was a fraternity regional advisor for a little bit, so I would have guys from d- different chapters come to me and ask me for advice, and this, the same advice I give them is the same advice I'd give for anyone looking to get into our space in investment management. Um, first, obviously, say yes to opportunity. Mm-hmm. You never know where things are gonna take you. Uh, it might not be you know, if you've set your goal, you want to be this. If this is your dream, if this is your goal, this is what you want to do. This is the path to get there. There's not there's not one defined path for everybody. You know, there's there's a circuit you know circuitous route to get to every you know dream and every goal. So say yes to opportunity because it might start taking you on another path that'll bring you back to your goal, or it might take you to another path that, well, hey, maybe that goal wasn't really your main passion, but this over here is, and to follow that route. Uh, the next I would say is use common sense. Um, it it sounds very silly to say it, but use common sense because it's there's a lot of common sense that is lacking out there. Um, it, even as far as investment decisions, you know, well, we have a fire over here, we need to fix it, so let's pull something from the, we have a fire at this property, this property is doing well, so let's pull a staff member or a resource from this property over here. Well, you've now just created a fire over at this property, and this property might get better, or it might still be a fire because it might not be the right resource. So now you have two fires versus one. So use common sense, think through things, think long term. Um, I would also say that probably when it comes to investment-minded things, don't stretch yourself too far. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to push yourself, but don't stretch yourself to a point where you have a portfolio of 30 properties but you can only handle 20 mm. because you're, then you're not giving it, instead of giving 20 properties its full attention and you know missing 10, you're probably not giving your full attention to all 30 because you'll have your problem child that focus, you'll focus mostly on, but then you'll have um, you know, your, your golden boys that you won't pay attention to until it's too late. Right, right. So don't stretch yourself too thin. Um, and then I guess the last thing is just be flexible and adaptable. I mean. There's no such thing as a static environment, and that's one thing we learned. Your your environment's always moving. When we were, when I was in the military, we were training. Uh, you know, we would always shoot static targets, but that was always to prepare us for going into 
an actual live situation where we would have targets pop up, move around. Your, your, your environment is never static. It's always changing. Be flexible, be adaptable to change, and don't be afraid to think outside the box to, to kind of figure these problems out because you know, static environment, working inside the box works, but in a live, living, moving environment, you can't just think inside the box and think you're gonna be perfect. True statement, so. true statement. I've seen that happen many times where you, you know, let's, it's a pejorative term, but to say that, you know, old school property managers might do it X way, and because they do it X way, when they get introduced with new stimulus or stimulus in a current environment, they try old school method, yeah. and it doesn't, so I, I love the word adapt, because yeah. you, you have to, you just like business world changes, so. Okay, so let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you've not, You've not sat in a property manager's chair to, to run an asset, which I think is a, a valuable thing from, from my perspective. Um, in segues to this next question, advice that you would give to a property manager or a regional manager or a, even a, a vice president or senior vice president in an organization, because you're so far removed and you're not in the day-to-day, you're not clouded, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm interested, and I think the, the uh, audience would be interested in what advice would you give to uh, that cohort of operations managers? The, uh, the first one, and I've said this before, use common sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think I, I can't stress that enough, use common sense. I've seen too many times where we'll have a problem that is, there's an easy solution to it, but, you know, because there's embarrassment or because they don't want to get in trouble or written up, they'll do this, you know, this other plan over here that's just so many moving parts and pieces and ultimately just messes things up even worse. Use common sense, use, you know, um, use the, what, whatever works, use it. That doesn't matter. If, if you get a little embarrassed, fine, that's great. You're, you're going to learn from that. You don't want to be embarrassed again, so you're going <laughs> to learn from that. Um, I would also say that Planning, uh, planning is invaluable, uh, and I think I've we, I've talked to you this about this. I have three quotes about planning. The first one is, "Poor planning leads to poor performance." If you don't plan, or if you don't, if you're not planning, your performance isn't going to be there. You're not going to magically, you know, Harry Potter some, uh, you know, great financials one month if you didn't plan properly. Uh, the next, the next one is actually a little bit. Um, a little bit counterintuitive to what I just said, but it'll, I'll wrap it up with a third quote. Uh, I think it was Eisenhower that said, um, "Planning is uh, plans are useless. Planning is everything." Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the, the point of the matter is, and the third one is, you know, I think uh, it was Patton who said this: uh, the greatest plans in the world get thrown out of the window when the first bullet's fired. Right. Mm-hmm. So planning is everything. Uh, and typically, if you create a plan, you have your goal, and you have your start, and then you have the plan, you know, A through Z between. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. But when the first hiccup happens, your plan just went to went out the went out the window. So um, you need to have planned, and you need to plan like you need to plan for every contingency and what might happen. You know, you need to know. All right, so here's you know points one through ten to get me to my goal. I did one and two, but three just went out the window when we had more evictions than you know than we than we expected. So how do I overcome that? Your plan has now just been shot to hell. What are you going to do about it? 
But because you've planned for that scenario, you know what's going on. You've been planning, you've been thinking, you've been actively, actively engaging your mind to think about the worst case scenario. Mm -hmm. um, forecasting in our business. Yes, forecasting in, in our business. And uh, it, a lot of that is, you know, adapting to your environment and creating this sense of, okay, I've got this. No matter what happens, I've got this. You can throw the worst thing at me, I've got this. Um, which you know, it actually leads me. To, um, it, we'll probably talk about this later, but um, one of the books and one of the podcasts that I'm going to recommend is by Jocko Willink, and he's you know, he, his motto is good. Whenever the worst thing happens, it's good. You have 12 evictions and you only protected two, good. How are you going to make more money off of it, right? Uh, yeah. You have 10 more units now that you didn't expect that you can turn, and and, and in our current environment, lease for a higher rate. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. You've got you've got that opportunity. Um, you have ten HVACs go out. Good. You now know now you now need to get money to replace ten HVACs. And thinking ahead, well, there's ten. It's a little bit higher than normal. What other ones can I think about? So let's let's go ahead and plan for twenty to thirty HVACs. Yeah. You've now created a contingency, and you've got all your summer HVACs out of the way. You've got to think in terms like something bad happens. Good. This is an opportunity for me to overcome that, and you know, if there's a million dollar hit to your financials, good. How can I make it a two million dollar plus for us? It's a mindset. It's a mindset. You have to. It's 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 something I learned in the military that you can drive through anything. Um, it's it's you know you can push yourself farther than your mind can tell you, uh, and sometimes you can make your body do things that your mind doesn't want to do. I believe that. Yeah. So it's all a mindset. A scaled down version, obviously not in the. Military setting. Yes, exactly. It's very. It's a very skilled. It's definitely not as crazy as in the military. So. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned podcasts. So I think that might be a uh, maybe a proper segue. Segue. I know you and I share. Uh, yes. Uh, we love the podcast uh, platform. Yes. To say so, and you introduced me to a couple. So, what what are your favorite podcasts, and maybe segue into your favorite books and kind of what they have meant to you and added to your life that might add to the audience's life. So, um, for podcasts. Uh, since we were just talking about it, um, I like the Jocko podcast by Jocko Willink, uh, who wrote the book Extreme Ownership, which I'll, I'll talk about here in a second. He's a, a former Navy SEAL. Um, he is, um, you look at him and he, look like he, he looks like he's just been beaten up and worn down, but he's a strong guy. He's a Navy SEAL. He's very determined and he's built a solid business and kind of, you know, mentoring and, you know, doing leadership talks and stuff like that. Uh, the next one is the Joe Rogan Experience. This one's just more of a personal pleasure. It's it's uh, it's one of those things where, on any given day, he will have a different guest, and it'll be from different parts of the world. One day you'll have a UFC fighter fighter on, the next day you'll have astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Yeah. One day you'll have uh, a left-leaning uh, politician, the next day you'll have a right-leaning politician, and then the third day you'll have someone in the middle you kind of get this full spectrum of the entire world. And it's basically a podcast where he goes out and talks to people he finds interesting. Mm -hmm. And sometimes talk to people he finds interesting, but completely disagree with, you know, fundamentally on so many different levels. So he will, he will talk to everybody. And it's good because, you know, I think if you're, whether it's politically, whether it's personally, if you're just hearing the things you want to hear, you're in an echo chamber, yeah. and you're not truly bettering yourself. You have to hear the counterpoints. You have to hear those points that really you don't agree with and you might never agree with, but you need to hear them because ultimately this is the great debate that's going on in our time and in our world. 
if you don't know what the other person's thinking or how they're going to debate you, how are you going to craft a solid debate on your end? And that's what we're seeing right now in the world is that one side's debating you know, one way, the other side's debating another way, and they're not crossing over. They're not exchanging ideas. And that's why we had this polarization, polarization which got off topic, which we tend to do. But uh, <laughs> So I like Joe Rogan just because um, you know, I'll be doing a, an analysis or something like that, and I'll throw somebody on, and it could be an actor or a UFC fighter or somebody that just I can you know, just listen in the background and maybe pick up a couple things here or there from, but I really enjoy that. Uh, and the last one is not so much a t- uh, is not so much a podcast as more or less like just something a great resource, and that's any TED talk. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I I, th- I think you and I were discussing it yesterday that any problem that you might have, whether it's um, you know whether it's business related, whether it's love life related, whether it's um, anything you could think of, just go to YouTube in the search terms, type TED talk and then what you're looking for an answer for. Yeah. And if you can't find it, you probably need to optimize your search again because there's a <laughs> TED Talk for everything. There truly yeah. is. So um, those are my three podcasts I have. As far as books, um, Extreme Ownership, uh, basically the idea of Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin, who are two Navy SEALs, is that when things go wrong or when things go bad, it's not your subordinate's fault. It's not, you know, even if it's the problem is five layers removed from you, if you're their superior, it's your fault. You're taking extreme ownership. You know, uh, you, you told your regional manager they need to get to 95% occupancy at these three properties. They didn't get there. All right, that's my fault because I didn't communicate clearly that I wanted 95 at all of them. And, there, you know, the, it's basically taking full ownership of every failure that happens under your chain of command. Yeah. yeah. It's basically... What can I do to be better? How can I communicate this better? And ultimately, it's just learning. It's teaching you how to how to speak to your subordinates or the people underneath you or even above you. What's the best way to communicate? Because no one communicates the same way. Everyone, um, you know, one regional might like you know to be peppy. The other one just wants to tell you the facts, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you tell the facts to the one that's peppy, they're not going to. They're. It's not going to. The message is going to get uh, lost in transmission. So, yeah. extreme ownership is about. Communicate the way that your subordinates are and take ownership for the failures of your communication. Um, and it's ultimately, it's ultimately one of those things. It's also a great team building thing because if, if your CEO goes to your region like, well, why haven't you hit 95? I know that was your goal. And then you step in and it's like, well, actually, that's my fault. I, I take full responsibility of it. You know, I, I didn't clearly communicate what we wanted, what was the goal, what was the, you know, what was the long term, you know, what was the, um, uh, what was the, the, uh, the mission. Well, we didn't we didn't uh, communicate that properly. You will also get like, okay, well, this guy just st- stuck his neck out for me, and I know it was my fault, or I know it was something that I could have done. You open up them to be more open and honest and caring with you, and just okay, well, actually, you know, I could have done this, but I didn't because of this. And you, then you start working through and you start exchanging ideas. Well, how can we make it, make it better next time? It's all about those exchanging of ideas. Absolutely, a little bit of collaboration. Yes, yeah, exactly. I like that. Two other books did you have? Or? Uh, I actually have a couple more. Uh, so the next one is Tools of Titan by Tim Ferriss. I know, Tim. Yeah. Uh, I know you're a big fan of it. Um, I like that book just because it, he really just goes into how different people do different things. And ultimately, I think entrepreneurship is you know, taking one thing that works in one sector with another and solving a problem that works in another sector, right? Mm-hmm. That's entrepreneurship. And I like reading about how different people do different things because 
you know, I can take what, what works for a Navy SEAL and take what works for uh, Bill Gates, combine them together and solve a problem that I have. Right. So it's, it's a good kind of book. Um, the last two that I have are actually kind of more personal, uh, introspective kind of building. And the first one's called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. Uh, and it's basically a book that says where you are today in life is because of what you've done. Uh, you are a badass in that. You, you survived, you know, th you know, 30 years or however long you've been alive. You, you are a badass at this point in time. You're doing something that someone else can't be doing right now, so you're a badass. And it's just kind of to get your mental, you know, it's, it's basically a hype book. You're, yeah. you're, you're supposed to hype yourself up like, okay, I can do this. I can, you know, I can achieve this goal. I can go talk to this girl. I can do this. I can do that, X, Y, and Z, right? Um, the next two are The World Beyond Your Head, Becoming an Individual in the Age of Distraction, and Real How Happiness, The Power of Meditation. Um, and those two, those two are books that I purchased recently and I've read a couple times, but I think they're ultimately ideals that I've always known. The World Beyond Your Head is kind of, a lot of people you know, in, the, in our society with depression and everything like that, people live inside their heads and get caught up in like they're bound in chains by their mind mm -hmm. and you have control over your own mind so you are you're you're putting yourself in chains limiting yourself on what you can do meditation is one way to get over that just to realize that this negative thought that I have it's just a negative thought it can it can go away it doesn't matter yeah. it, it's not going to affect how you approach a situation it's not going to affect your day um, the world beyond your head becoming an individual in age of distraction is very focused on kind of the same thing but also we live on these things. Oh, yeah. We have a million distractions. How do you get beyond that? And uh, one of the things that I've learned from it, you know, and from other books, is that every night when I get home from work, I plug this thing up and I put it in a drawer and I don't look at it the rest of the night. There are some nights I do look at it, I won't lie, but I won't look at it the rest of the night because there's work emails that come in. Then I might get on Twitter and I might see something I don't agree with and I just get kind of upset. And you're doing all these things, plus the lights are really uh, bad on those things. So right. you're doing all these things right before you get ready for bed, and your sleep is going to be affected by it. And we all know sleep is important. Sure. It's one of the, you, if your body doesn't have a chance to rest, if your mind doesn't have a chance to rest, you're, you're, you're it working in overtime all the time, right? So I try to get rid of that, and that's basically what that book's about. Meditation is just kind of let those thoughts out of your mind. There, there's negative thoughts like, I can't do this, I can't do this. Yes, you can do that. It's I, I can prove to you that you can do that. You just got to get rid of that. No, I can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, those are the the books that I would recommend. I appreciate that. I I, um, I read a lot of books myself. Some of those I've not read. I've read two of those and, and not the other two. But uh, I'm I always uh, I th I think books are sort of catalysts for incredible actions that you can take in your life, and you, you do need to take time, in my opinion, to read. But more importantly. <clears throat> You can't get caught up in too much reading. I think one of the implicit things you're saying there is you have to act. Yes. You have to act. Take that information and put it in your life. Yeah. And like getting out of your head, you have to physically act. In exactly. And it, I think that's one of, the, one of the things I've been really successful at is that I'm very analytical, but I'm also kind of, I can be very engaging with people. And knowing the times when I need to be engaging and when I need to be analytical and kind of finding that perfect medium in between. Sweet spot, yeah, yep. most definitely. Okay, I'm gonna switch gears and I'm gonna ask you some rapid fire questions. You didn't get okay. to see these before. All right, let's go. You saw the other ones. <laughs> let's do this. So we're gonna do rapid fire questions and then, we're, uh, then we'll end. Uh, we'll do a little bit of a, uh, an acknowledgement thing and then 
and then I'll do an ask, uh, yeah. ask being an ask that you might have of the audience or something that you want. So here's the rapid fire questions. Your favorite superhero and why? Ooh, uh, favorite superhero and why? You know, that's a great question. Um, I've always been a fan of Captain America and Superman. Okay. Uh, however, in recent months, I've liked Deadpool. Oh, uh, right. Just because of the movie, I, I think he has that, uh, that laissez-faire attitude and kind of don't give a bleep. Uh, <laughs> I'm a fan of that. I, I, that's how I liked... I prefer to be kind of on the cusp of things like in that kind of regard, so I have to go with that. Okay. Understood. Awesome. Uh, favorite summer activity? We're headed into summer. What is your favorite thing to do in the summer? Uh, I've done a lot of it lately, and I actually did, did it yesterday, uh, going to the baseball game and just watching a game. Just enjoying having a beer, sitting with friends, you know, talking just while watching it, you know, watching a sporting event. Excellent. Uh, so alive or dead, who in this world uh, do you admire most and why? Who do I admire most and why? Um, Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, I think I think he is the is my idyllic portrayal of what a man should be. You know, I he may not I may not agree with what his politics were, but he was, you know, speak softly, carry a big stick. I feel exactly like, you know, I don't need to be yelling at you all the time, but I need to be able to, you know, if I need to carry a big stick, I'll carry a big stick. Excellent. Um, your uh, favorite, most recently learned vocabulary word, giving you a place to use that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where this came from. Uh, so I learned yesterday uh, the word fat doodle, which is basically someone who brings zero brings nothing to the conversation, brings nothing to the table. So uh, there are a lot of fat doodles uh, out there in the world that I wish I could hear less of. <laughs> Thank you. Better provide that for Coffee or tea? Great question. Uh, it depends. Right now I am actually, yeah, I'm a tea guy. I'm green tea. Nice. Right now. I like green tea. Um, define happy. Define happy. Um... For me, happiness is not a care in the world. As anything or anything or anybody or whatever that can put you into a state of mind where the weight of the world, the weight of your job, those aren't existent because you're with this person or you're with you're doing this thing. Happy is happy is an ex, is not necessarily I don't want to call it an escape, but happy is an activity or something that you can do that takes you to that next level where you don't worry about those other things. Excellent. Um, if your Facebook profile was connected to every single user on Facebook and you knew that they were going to read something that you could post, you have complete license to post whatever you want, what would that thing be that you would say to everyone? On Facebook? <laughs> Stop posting dumb stuff. Um, I, I actually gave up Facebook because, you know, I... <clears throat> I have my views on things, and I have friends who have different opposing views, and um, I, I would just tell them to stop posting stupid things, because there are a lot of things out there that just make no sense, and just stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Actually, if I'm being honest, I'd just be, I would tell them to stop worrying about the little things. It's, it's not going to matter 50, 60 years from now, 20 years from now, five years from now, is it going to matter? Don't worry about those little things. Don't post a status about it. You, it's not going to matter. 
Yeah. You're gonna look back on it when it, you know, oh, you said this five years ago, and you're like, wait, why did I say that? Or, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Don't worry about those little things. Yeah, and you take a huge burden off your uh, your mind. Yes. What you were speaking about earlier when you do that. Um, well, before we wrap up here, I wanted to take just a little second out here to acknowledge you for a few things, if, if okay. you don't mind. Uh, just And I've not known you a, a very long bit of time, but uh, long enough, I, th- I think, to start to uh, develop some, uh, call it opinions, for, for lack of a better way to put it. But I, I want to acknowledge you first for your character. I, I look at you and, and your age. You're fairly young. I, I feel like I'm you know, escalating in the years, but... Uh, I really admire your, your character and the time that I've spent with you, uh, honesty, integrity, and things of that nature. I really, uh, it's quite admirable. Uh, and I imagine your upbringing in military and, uh, has really put that. I, I like your flair <laughs> because, you know, paying attention to your, uh, you know, the few, few Facebook posts that you do, the few Instagram posts that you do, uh, there is flair in there that I think is fun. Yeah. I, I think when you're engaging with regional managers and uh, vice presidents and uh, out in the field, you have a flair about you. you. You share memes uh, as they're germane to whatever goals we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think it's, it's very cool that you do that. Your wit and your wisdom is is awesome. Uh, I really appreciate that. I think you have a grit about you that is uh, it, it's sort of a subtle grit, right? It's yeah. not a hammer grit. You, you may say the word hammer, but uh, but you're you're not you're not a hammer as a Jocko would be in yeah. at least not my perspective, but. but you still have that grit that gets you from that A to B, no matter what piece of stimulus disrupts your, your initial plan. Uh, and I appreciate that about you. And then I think finally, uh, I, I grew up in a military town, and for the longest time I, I had no appreciation for the military. In fact, I, I looked at them like arrogant a-holes. And I had, I had an experience happen to me in a Sears store. I was selling uh, a lawn tractor. I think I told you the story. Mm-hmm. This uh, guy... We got in, involved in a conversation, and I shared my disdain for the military. Uh, he's buying a lawn tractor for me. He comes up to the cash wrap. I say, I need to see your ID with your credit card. He whips out his military ID, and obviously I feel this tall, and the guy says to me, look, I can appreciate where you're coming from, but let me ask you a question. If you're, if you're thinking about a person that's going to defend your country, would you rather have an arrogant a-hole or a daisy? I said, point taken. So I say all that to say this. I really appreciate your service to our country and the capacity that you, you spent time over Iraq and defending the freedoms that you had. So. It, was, uh, it was a fun part of my journey, so it's, it's, it's a part that I uh, still take with me, but uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, very, very cool. So my last question for you is what is your favorite uh, property management company in America? Ooh, that's a tough one. It's not really tough. It's, it's Radcliffe Residential. Nice. I, I've worked not exclusively with them. I've worked with other property management companies, but Racker Residential brings that extra something that I, I've seen lacking a lot of other property companies. And I'm, I'm extremely biased. I'll be the first to admit that, but um, I, I've enjoyed working with Racker. Excellent. Do you have an ask for our audience or anything that you would leave them with? What kind of ask are you talking about? Any ask. Um, interesting. I guess kind of to go back to one of the, the first points that we made at the beginning with veterans and opportunity, my ask is, how can you provide an opportunity to a veteran? Or not even a veteran, someone that just needs an opportunity. Or someone that has a goal, how can you provide them an opportunity to achieve those things? How can we provide opportunity to someone? Very good. Yeah. Awesome. 
Luke, I appreciate this time. I appreciate two things: the the catalyst to to try this as uh, you know something else on the apartment hacker, uh, and being the first guest. <laughs> I'm glad to be the guest number one. So Absolutely. I'm in the record books. Excellent. Woo. Yep. Uh, yeah, and hopefully, like episode one thousand of interviews will bring you back on if there is a so, Anyway, I, I expect to be back on one hundred and one thousand. So nice. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, uh, really appreciate your your time today. Um, let us know if you like this. Uh, I can line up other guests to come on and, and have Luke back at some point uh, if you like it. Uh, if you don't like it, say that too. That's okay. Uh, we like uh, both views of the world. So take care. We'll talk to you again soon.